Hello, welcome to Stages. I'm Peter Eyes. Today my guest is theatre historian Ivan King. In a boutique space below His Majesty's Theatre in Perth is a vast collection of arts heritage. It celebrates and recalls the immense cultural past of live performance through Western Australia. The Museum of Performing Arts was founded in 2001 by Perth's living treasure, Mr Ivan King. The seed germinated in the 70s when the Madge closed for refurbishment and Ivan commenced collecting materials. These would one day contribute to an essential story that would inform audiences and practitioners of today, an essential reminder of what had gone before. The Museum of Performing Arts houses more than 40,000 catalogued items of theatre memorabilia and includes costumes, photographs, scripts and scores. The ghostly footprints of artists such as Gladys Moncrief, Margot Fontaine, Catherine Hepburn, Anna Pavlova and Dame Nellie Melba echo through the theatre where the museum is home. It takes a unique identity with a keen eye, a huge passion and a broad knowledge of the arts to gather, curate and maintain such a collection. Ivan King is a most genial host and celebrant. He is a veteran of over 100 plays, musicals and theatre events as actor, writer and director. As the founder of the Museum of Performing Arts, he's created to date 54 exhibitions highlighting the history of entertainment in Perth. Ivan sat down with stages in dressing room number one at His Majesty's Theatre. The anecdotes flew thick and fast, always demonstrating an enormous passion for the theatre and the people who make it. Uh, isn't this so much more streamlined now? When I first started doing this, interviewing these old vaudevillians, it looks as though I was setting up the, the switch, the, uh, the control board of a Boeing jet in front of them. Just the sight of it terrified them. Now it's barely noticeable. Well, the, the, I think the visual of a microphone does sort of mm. paralyse some people. Yeah. But not you. No. No, a veteran of the stage and screen. Uh, Mm, yes, yes, isn't it amazing? Uh, my uh, my social life now is um, governed by the Steve Bradbury principle. I'm the last one standing. <laughs> I get invited to all sorts of dinner parties I never used to get to because there's a vacant chair. There's no competition. There's no competition, you see. But isn't it nice having this interview in the Jill Perryman suite? Yeah, dressing room, dressing dressing, room number one. Dressing room number one. That's one of the perks of being the only theatre historian in town. You know all the secrets and you know where all the bad reviews are hidden and you're threatened to tell unless they give you dressing room number one when you ask for it. <laughs> sort of the cultural blackmail at its, uh, at its most refined. <laughs> At the glorious uh, His Majesty's Theatre. I beg your pardon? The glorious His His, Majesty's Theatre. Yes. So why is it called His Majesty's Theatre? Well, there's an interesting uh, 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 story about that. Edgley, Michael Edgley, it was always His Majesty's because it comes from the Edwardian era. And, And it was His Majesty's until about 1972 when Michael Edgley and the Edgley family, we know they're their hold on their, their, their ownership of the uh, theatre. 1972 when he became part of uh, the Williamson's management board and with the construction of the new Her Majesties in Sydney to uh, have uniformity all over the country they changed the name to Her Majesties and it lasted until it closed for refurbishment and come 1980, when the place reopened, they took, again, 
reverted to his majesties and it's that ever since we west australians are a contrary mob you should know that <laughs> so we're in the jewel pyramid suite uh, the other dressing rooms named after any uh, yes yes west australian performers uh, uh, yes there's the uh, down the way we have uh, lucette aldous she's got number three right uh, she was received an honorary doctorate out on stage and to mark the occasion, we dedicated number three dressing room to her. Number four is the Eileen Joyce room. And in 1926, she won in a Stedford here. And Percy Granger was in town at the time. And uh, he called her transcendentally gifted. And there was uh, uh, what they could call now GoFundMe. Uh, money was raised to send her to Europe to study and she became the, one of the top pianists of the time and we've dedicated number three, forward dressing room to her and upstairs in the mezzanine of course that's the actors little section we've got the Geoffrey Rush Lionel Logue room and uh, number eight number eight is Kate Blanchett Marta Dusseldorf and Pamela Rabe, they shared that room during uh, War the War of the Roses, of the Roses right. during the festival. And there's several still left for uh, names. Future names. Future names. I've got one in mind. <laughs> oh, I must tell you, yep. downstairs in the, the labyrinth downstairs uh, in the basement, uh, in the long corridor leading to the rehearsal room uh, for the orchestra, fringe time, We've converted that into a little uh, venue for fringe, you see, and the whole area's been named King's Lair in my honour oh, every brilliant. year. Brilliant. Yes, I've accepted that. Uh, I've accepted that compliment in the manner born. King's Lair. <laughs> You're a Perth boy, aren't you? You're born oh, here? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Midland, Midland. Born neath the shadow of the Midland Town Hall clock, did, as they often say. Did you ever have any time outside of Perth? Oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. I I uh, played Melbourne and Sydney in the Carol era, uh, the Garden Age Carol era. Right. I I was in the original West Side Story, as I say now. I, I, I was the second glad hand. <clears throat> Were you really? Yes. With Dobbs Frank and Duncan. Yes, all and, of that. And Ronnie Arnold came out to do uh, Yes, all of that. I was the second glad hand. Right. Uh, God, you are getting these stories out of me, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Yes, and uh, that was that was quite remarkable. I should write down my memories of the uh, of the people they brought out for that. Yeah, but Australia had never seen. No, no, well, seen I didn't know. Like I didn't know that they had to have custom-made jeans because the oh, jeans weren't weren't available. That had flexibility. In mm. Stretch jeans. Yeah, yeah stretch denim. And uh, they had to import the shoes, the, the, the sneakers, uh, for, for the Australian season. Oh, I've been around. Yeah. And then, I, um, <laughs> how many others have you interviewed who've actually been leading man in a Butlins holiday camp? Uh, you're the first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, finally Yorkshire. Right. I went to... London, as you had to do, you've got to go to London. I spent the two years there starving. 
And uh, my first gig was at the Royal Opera House, Covent Garden, as an usher. And I got this job in the Butlins Holiday Camp. Well, I didn't know what a Butlins Holiday Camp. I thought it would be sort of the Mandurah or, 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 or the Gold Coast, <laughs> slightly wetter. Uh, that was an education. Five plays. You once you got into uh, the 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 uh, the, uh, the rhythm of the things, you had to do five plays a fortnight, uh, twice nightly. And they were cut to, I think, as I remember, about sixty-five to seventy minutes. So, uh, so, so the classics. Uh, and, uh, no, they were they were pot boilers and, right, and drawing yep. room comedies. Yep. I can remember one we did. I had seen Googie Withers do it in Melbourne. She spent the entire second act getting slowly and elegantly pissed. In our version of it, the leading lady took one swig of a glass of wine and she was on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And uh, you, you had to keep them. No pregnant pauses. No pregnant pauses because you're keeping the happy campus away from the bar. Yes. You see. Right. And then the next lot were queuing up ready to get in. And... Uh, <clears throat> It, it, it was an experience and people talk about the West End and the glories of the West End once in no way um, casting aspersions there but I saw the underbelly of British theatre right. with the, with the, uh, the life in, um, in those um, digs and the crappy food that you had to eat yeah. and I I had that. High-hearted, glamorous life. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, and whenever I watch a British uh, 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 soapy or a British program uh, or a whodunit or a murder mystery on the ABC like Vera and so forth, the moment I can sm that, smell that dankness, I go back to, to, uh, to my time in, in the know. provinces of England, and I know that what they're doing in Vera was authentic. Yeah. And, uh, but I did meet Noel Coward. Oh, tell us about that. Well, uh, June Bronhill, I had toured Merry Widow with June uh, in, uh, uh, we played Sydney, Brisbane, and uh, she was in and out of it, you know, and I was doing the tour with Suzanne Steele and that mob. But uh, <clears throat> I forged a friendship with June. And anyway, Noel Coward's 70th birthday party was at the theatre now named after him, the Phoenix, I think it is. And there was a midnight gala when all the, the, the great names of the British theatre uh, 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 participated in this gala and there was Dame Edith and there was Dame Sip, the, all of them and June Bromhill was one of them and I had a El Cheapo up in the gallery front rows it turned out and she said well darling she said after the performance come round backstage so came round backstage and she introduced me to Noel Cowan quick as a wink he said how to do <laughs> <laughs> And I've got, I've got the signed programme home as evidence and proof that I was there. Had then, of course, the I master. had to go out in queue in the snow in Trafalgar Square for over an hour, waiting for the Perth first bus back to uh, 
Kenwick or whoever it was that was staying. Reality oh, I, uh, Yes, I, I saw the, the underside. What was the first live performance you saw? Was that in Perth? Do you remember? As a child, oh, yes, yes. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I had my cousin Dot and... Uh, she comes up every time I have to give my email address these days because it's Ivan Dot King. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my, my cousin Dot took me to a pantomime in what was a flea pit. And I can remember every gesture of it. Every, every... A flea pit? It was a theatre in Perth? Uh, yes, or? it was called the Luxor. Right. It was Perth's answer to uh, the Tivoli, the Luxor Theatre, which became the Tivoli. And anyway, that... As a, as a kid, it's, it's the classic thing, you know, you see this. And it must have been a horrendous amateurish bit of nonsense, but uh, it hooked me and I was hooked it. So what was it about that that ignited your passion? Well, I can still see the lighting. Yeah. I can still Colour see the movement. lighting. Colour and movement. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> Did you have collections as a child? Did you collect anything? Stamps or...? Only well, abuse. <laughs> no, no, no. I have been blessed with the most glorious mother of all time. Uh, m m my father's side of the family, a long line of bushwhackers right. out of uh, Jinjin up this way, yeah. you know. And my parents, my mother's side of the family, they were railway pioneers in Midland. They went to Midland to set up the Midland uh, Railway Workshops and that was my identity, that was my background and that's my, those are my roots which I tried to ignore but you go back to them and it gives you such a profound sense of identity and I realised I have my land rights too. Yeah, yeah. You know, was was performance escapist for you then? Yes, it was. You were doing school, Obviously, school plays. Oh, I, well, there was one school play done while I was there, and I wasn't in the cast. Oh, did you? So who, who, who threw a wobbly? <laughs> You're a diva. I was a diva then. even then, <laughs> and that was before <laughs> that was before I'd even reached high school. <laughs> uh, no. But that hobby became more and more something yes, well, that you needed yes, to do. Yes, I learnt my trade on the road. You know, I came in at the end of the border. I met all these vaudevillians who were in their last gasp when I first went to Melbourne. You know, and they passed on these tips. Yep. You know, these these showbiz tips. About Gags, how to do a gag. gag how to do a gag, how, how to deport yourself on stage, you know. There was one dear old darling, she said, she was hobbling on, she said, <clears throat> I, I, I can't spend money on shoes now, so I spend twice as much on the hats, you know. And another day, of course I'm perfect grooming, she said, you have to look at me, I don't. <laughs> Yeah, and and there, there were the I'm, I'm waffling a bit but all those time honoured tricks of show business which so many actors now feel they don't have to worry about yeah. because they you go to see them on stage and they, uh, and they, they act as though the, uh, the microphone or the camera is tickling their nose yeah. and you say what about me out there you know the, the, the big performances, the 
They don't know how to play big. No, no. My motto is play it big or stay in bed, you know. You can always pull you back. Well, well, yeah, and I think you would too if you were directing. <laughs> uh, were, your, were your parents happy about a career in performance? I think, the they were, I think they were bemused. Right. Bemused. I was delighted that I was able to bring my mum in on it all. And she became part of it. Uh, I will say this for record. They say that history is written by the victors. The tragedy of my family is my father. Uh, he had a double hernia and he was considered medically unfit. And uh, to, to, wear, to be a soldier as such. So they put him in what was called the Civil Construction Corps. And he was a navvy on the road from Alice to uh, Darwin. He was in Darwin when the bombs fell. He worked all around the northwest with the pick and shovel. He was in the Ordnance Depot in Catherine. What's that uh, play about the Ordnance Depot? The, uh, it, never mind. But there was a play about the, in the in the 50s. And uh, he said he was uh, watching the Japanese planes reconnoitering up overhead and all he had in his hand was a shovel. Right. And when the war was over, he could not get one penny of post-war benefits because he did not wear the uniform. Right. And that was such an insult to his manhood, it turned to drink. We were raised, my brother and I were raised on the bones of our asses. Right. Because what money he did earn, you know. Went on drink. Went on drink. Yeah. So uh, th these are the stories that have yet to come out in the uh, in the, the national narrative. Yeah. So that 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 coloured my life, and that was part of my escape. Those experiences. An honourable escape. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You've got a beautifully resonant voice, diction, impeccable. What sort of vocal training as an actor when you were starting out did you receive? Well, there was a lady here called Colleen Clifford. She, was, she came here to Perth. She was known as London's sweetheart because she'd had a, one of the... Uh, she'd been this, the uh, sergeant major in Guys and Dolls in London and she lived on that forevermore. And she set up here the Theatre Guild and she took over and gave me this technique, you know, relax, open, send, pretend that there's a fishing line coming out of your nose and it's going into a cup way at the back of the dress circle, all these tips you see. And uh, that's what has kept me going. It allows me to do two hour tours of His Majesty's, my grand historic tours, and not draw for breath or have a glass of water for two hours. Brilliant. Brilliant. And twice, twice on Heritage Day. I've been doing these tours for nearly 20 years now, and come Heritage Day, my tours are the first that are booked out. Mind you, we only sell a limited number of 40, but I always say we play to full houses. Excellent. Of course, That's part of my narrative. <laughs> Another famous voice teacher in WA was Lionel Logue. Oh, you know how to... Segway. You know, don't you? <laughs> well, here, here's a lovely story for you, uh, dear listener. For years I had this stack of programmes 
and ephemera from a speech and drama teacher who was here in Perth in the, uh, from about 1911 till about 1921. He ran the School of the Spoken Word at a studio in Barrack Street, the School of the Spoken Word. So he often presented his well-spoken pupils here in end-of-the-year concerts and readings. He produced a couple of musicals here. He, uh, he did readings here in His Majesty's and in other theatres around town. And I thought, I must put these on display. So I did this display, totally unaware that on the other side of the world they were about to release a film called The King's Speech. So I got, you know, I got an elephant stamp from the Perth Theatre Trust for my foresight. And then I got a phone call from London saying, uh, hello, we're from a British film company telling me they're doing a documentary on Lionel Logan. Did I have anything on him? I said, do I what? So images of my display ended up in that London documentary. Brilliant. Yeah, it was, wasn't yeah, it? I'm yeah, very yeah. happy with myself for that. I gave myself an elephant stamp. And then the exhibition went to Adelaide because that's where he had started out as well. So that's my, my Lionel Logue story. It's all there in a box ready to be re-displayed uh, re to invent a term. The Manger is a beautiful theatre to perform in, isn't it? Yes. Uh, the, those three tiers yes. that you look out into. And, and that's the glory of playing to three levels. That's when you can be big and expansive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many plays have come in here. And you know, Melbourne, Sydney, listen to this. You come in from the, uh, the Sydney Theatre Company or the Melbourne Theatre Company and you're sitting in the back of the dress circle or even up in the gods and they're playing to halfway down the stalls because yep. that's the back row yep. of the theatres they're used to. And you know also that management have sat at the production desk only halfway down and all through the, the, the rehearsal leading into their opening night in this theatre they played to the management. That's what I mean about technique. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, so often I've said, ooh, I'm up here, cooing. <laughs> it's an Edwardian theatre, isn't it? It's Edwardian. So how old is oh, it? Oh, but, but it's, uh, it's Victorian as well, oh, you right. know, the, the three levels. I opened in, uh, it opened in uh, 1904, Christmas Eve 1904, which is not a good time to open a theatre, I feel, Christmas Eve, but it... 1904. So who built it? A bloke called uh, Thomas George Malloy, uh, who was a local... So he was uh, independently wealthy? And the indep yes, yeah, yes. Uh, he, he was uh, uh, in this isolated city at the time, you know, certain people can develop a great deal of power because their competitions are safely on the other side of the Nullarbor. He was one of them. He built the Theatre Royal down the way, 1897. That was the pre, pre the curtain raiser to His Majesty's. The Edwardian facade, the Gold Rush late Victorian facade is still there. Nothing left of the theatre inside. But interestingly, and I'm diverting for a moment, our new state museum, uh, which is going to open next year, includes a performing arts gallery. Wow. Great. And they've never had that before. 
and they're drawing upon our theatre collection for it. And the opening exhibition is going to celebrate the Theatre Royal. Fantastic. Yes. Excellent. So, so the designs for such a venue... Would they have come from the UK? Or oh, yes, yes, indeed. Established the yes, already. Yes, yeah. it's a, they call it, a typical West End theatre transported to a West End environment. Yeah, yeah. And it relates in architectural terms the layered strata for Eid society of the time, you know, stalls, dress circle, gallery. And even though we're a bit light on with royalty in Perth in 1904, we still had to have royal boxes, didn't we? (laughs) But I tell you what, some performance royalty has graced the stage. I'm talking about Dame Nellie Melba, Anna Pavlova, Gladys Moncrief, Margot Fontaine, Robert Helpman, Catherine Hepburn. I could go on. Yes. Do you have any stories about any of those particular Well, I almost, I almost, almost, well, I did. I stepped on Dame Maggie Smith's foot. That would have gone down where well. She, she was sitting, well, she's sitting where you were sitting right now. But out there in the corridor, I stepped on her foot. A few weeks later, I went to see one of her films. And a scene where she was about to murder somebody, I turned to my friend and I said, I recognise that look. <laughs> uh, interestingly, um, Kate Blanchett mislaid her mobile while she was here. And she had to inform the federal police. Really? Well, you, well, you can imagine the numbers the on numbers that The numbers that phone. she would have, yes, yes. So that's my definition of stardom now. Yeah, yeah. If I lose my mobile and I have to tell the, the feds, then I know I've made it. Was and it so found? At the moment, if I, if I lose this bloody thing, my brother's seriously inconvenienced. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I am in the pecking order. How does Catherine Hepburn, a queen of Hollywood, yes. appear on the stage here? Well, she came here and she played Portia in Merchant of Venice. They did, uh, uh, they did Taming of the Shrew and they did Measure for Measure, which, strangely enough, is going to be at uh, Crown next week in the pop-up Shakespeare Theatre, oh. which is over there. And uh, she complained bitterly because across the theatre wasn't air-conditioned at the time and uh, uh, soundproofed rather at the time and there was a dance hall across the road and there she was being highly Shakespearean <laughs> with the background of uh, jazz music from the, the dance hall across the road. Vivian Lee came here 62 uh, to play um, the, the, the Twelfth Night. Was that the tour with Olivia? Uh, no, no, no. No, this is uh, after the divorce. Uh, she and Olivier played down the road at the Capitol Theatre. I've got her boa, in fact. About um, when she was here for the Festival of Perth in February, the white heat of February, theatre wasn't air conditioned, oh. and she let it be known that she hadn't been so hot since she played uh, a wartime review to the troops in Africa. <laughs> uh, oh. And, oh, you want a ghost story? Oh, yes, because theatres are ghosts, live in theatres. Well, this happened to me almost a year ago, and without... So it's personal experience. From personal experience, without a syllable of exaggeration, uh, and in a timeline of about 20 minutes, 
I had a call from Peter Pinney in Brisbane, who was writing a book on the history of Australian musicals. He uh, wanted photographs uh, for the book, you see. So I got the box down. I, uh, he'd made that request a few days beforehand. So I got the box down with the photographs in it and uh, I'm going through, got the photographs out that he asked for, set them aside and said, well, I'll get my underlings to send them off to Brisbane this afternoon. And there were stacks of envelopes in this box. I knew what was there. There was one. I said, oh, I haven't looked at this for ages, for ages. So I got it out. I thought, I must refresh my memories of what's here. And it was memorabilia and program and ephemera to do with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, stage version of Sherlock Holmes, which was done at the Theatre Royal, the Australian premiere, in 1902. And also cuttings and so forth from his lunchtime lecture here in <coughs> 19... 1921, I think it is. On the way back to Europe, the ship stopped over in Fremantle for nine hours. He got off, caught the train up to Perth, went on stage here to deliver a lunchtime lecture on spiritualism to an audience comprised mainly of grieving widows, of women who had lost their loved ones on the battlefields of Europe during the First World War, and in a desperate attempt to contact them <coughs> had turned to spiritualism. So that afternoon the uh, the theatre was apparently vibrating with spiritualism. Oh, this is very interesting. I must put all this material on display sometime. Put it back in its envelope, put the envelope in the box, put the box on the shelf, went upstairs to get a cup of coffee, and while I'm waiting, there's a tap on my shoulder, and it's one of our volunteers. She said, Ivan, there's a gentleman downstairs. He said... You don't know him, but he's just arrived from Sydney. He's the Australian president of the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Society, and he wants to know if you've got any material on his visit to Perth in 1921. <laughs> uh, wow. I sort of staggered downstairs, and there's this man sweating profusely. It was a cold day, and I thought, there's a presence here somewhere. I've dined out on that story for, for the past year. Well, yes, and we'll continue to do so. Oh, I will, I will. And uh, that segues into my Judy Nunn story. Judy Nunn, the great uh, uh, the TV actress. Yes, yes. yes. Is uh, she West Australian? Yes. Oh, she is? Right? Yes, yes. Her home was on the most beautiful stretch of the river, her family home. And she that's where she had developed that wonderful outdoor lifestyle that she loved so much. And uh, anyway, we were doing, we were about the first of the Theatre for Young People. And we were touring the back blocks of New South Wales. Yeah, oh God, don't get me started. That's where I got the money to go to England to be famous in Butlins. But anyway, we, uh, we went to the Warren Bungle. Um, there's a town near the Warren Bungles. Uh, in, in New South Wales, the nearest. Anyway, we were sitting there having breakfast. We stayed in the local blood house. <clears throat> and uh, the waitress, the breakfast waitress, said, Oh, you're here with the children's plays, are you? And we said, Yes. So a group came through last year. She said, My daughter took me along. Very entertaining it was. What did they do? 
They did selections from Hamlet, Midsummer Night's Dream, and Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> uh, it was worth going there just to just come back to with that. that story. Yes. So that links with the previous anecdote I, I told you. How's that for a segue? Beautiful, beautiful. Um, obviously, there's a wealth of history to preserve and celebrate in West Australia, performing yes. arts history. So when did the Performing Arts Museum start at the theatre? Well... I believe it was your idea. It was. Yeah. Uh, as I said to Janet Holmes at court on his Saturday night, I said, we were taught that we didn't have any history. We were brought up to believe we didn't have any history. And she, she agreed. But, um, how can I put it? Had you seen museums in the UK when you were there? Uh, no, there was, there was, they were just starting. They were just starting to, to, do, to create the performing arts collections in Melbourne and Sydney. And the uh, Sydney Opera House, had an ex for the opening, had an exhibition of theatre memorabilia, and that was my seeding idea. I came back here and because I know nothing about the history of my own environment, my own patch, my own community, my own state, I set about learning about the history and then I, after seeing that exhibition in Sydney I thought why not hone it in on <coughs> your own work, your own people, your own tribe. <coughs> and uh, after all we we have documented the lives of our early pioneers, the, uh, the, the farmers and the diggers and the lawyers and whoever else, and the hardships they endured and the, the droughts and flooding wanes in the outback. I said, but nobody's recorded those, the hardships of those who entertained them. Yeah, yeah. The strolling players who more than anybody endured the primitive transport across the vast distances. Yeah. And unlike the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the farmers and the diggers and whoever, and the soldier and the bakers, come showtime they had to suddenly look glamorous. How did they do it under the most primitive conditions? Yeah. When, when we couldn't dry clean costumes, for instance, it must have been smellorama at oh, times. Big time. Yes. So, so the, that's, that's, that's how I started. So the museum houses more than 40,000 catalogued yes. items of theatre memorabilia. I've been ruthlessly objective. I've culled three photographs of myself. <laughs> what sort of treasures are in the collection? Well, we start, uh, we've got... Uh, my favourite, and the one that's most personal for me, is the... Uh, the um, the collection of Australian sheet music from World War One, the patriotic and or jingoistic songs that were performed, published and composed right here in Australia and the effect that those songs and show business had on recruitment for the First World War. And I did, I've got 176 pieces of it and when uh, the centenary of Anzac came along for the four years, I thought, we're getting in here first before people tire of it. And I think they did the way it was towards the 
middle of the four years, got very, never, won't go there. But I started with this exhibition which I called Anzac Coves, and I named it after a troop of soldier entertainers who had toured land at Gallipoli, did their fighting, got into, uh, got into Piro costumes and then went and entertained in the camps and in the hospitals and the bombed out halls uh, back from the battlefield and they were invited to perform to the entire royal family in the throne room of Buckingham Palace. Then they went on tour of the halls in Britain as headliners. I'll take you downstairs afterwards and show you one of the posters. We named it after them. I'm very, very proud of that particular exhibition. And uh, we've got, got Ballet Russe costumes. I've got... Because Ballet, did Ballet Russe... No, they passed through here. here. They passed through. Right? Passed through. They never did. They were going to do one of their seasons here in Perth on the way back to Europe this way, but war intervened. And leaving behind Borovansky and Kira Buslot, founder of WA Ballet. Yes. And... Uh, but I've got some of the costumes from that final tour and they link beautifully with contemporary costumes. I have uh, La Stupenda's Lacme costume right. uh, and one interesting little little black number when Judy Davis played Piaf here at the Playhouse in 1980, just after the release of um, My Brilliant Career. And she, she came back home to do uh, Piaf, mm -hmm. and uh, that is a remarkable touch. Uh, the, 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 uh, the collection of uh, Pavlova material that I have is very important too. Uh, What's the I, oldest uh, item in the collection? Uh, silk program from eighteen fifty four. I can see you've done your homework. I have indeed. Yes, yes. Which is uh, just twenty five years after the establishment. Of yes, the yes. River a, a silk, yeah. silk program from an evening in amateur theatricals down in the old courthouse. The old courthouse, which still survives. The colony was so poor that any public building had to serve as many purposes as possible. So the courthouse was a, a courthouse during the day and a theatre come concert hall of sorts at night. And I have this souvenir program from there. And you think about it, the colony didn't have two pennies to rub together, but it could a, a, affect this upper-class English custom from Drury Lane of a silk program. Do you need to go searching for pieces or do performers and organisations happily do This is interesting, you know. I started before uh, uh, eBay and so forth and used to go to Trash and Treasures and what used to be called second-hand shops, remember those, and you get these things for, you know, for tuppence. But uh, now you go on eBay and you're competing with the not only the national institutions, but... Um, collectors. Collectors as well. And uh, they're, they're way, way out of our... Uh, uh, beyond our budget now to buy most things. I have one costume down there for the, uh, the Merry Widow, the Australian Opera uh, production that, that evolved from the Joan Sutherland Merry Widow. <coughs> And there was the, I have the costume, and 
last year when Opera Australia uh, uh, put this memorabilia on the market, there was uh, the design for that costume, and I thought, oh, this will be fabulous. And it went to a collector for thousands and thousands wow. of dollars, you wow. see. Wow. What, what does a day at work entail for you as the archivist? Well, it starts when the muse comes and taps me on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I live just down the road, and it's a free bus ride up the terrace to the theatre, so that gives me so much leeway. I don't have to battle traffic. Right. What about your own personal collection? What's the most prized theatre memorabilia that you have? Oh, just my scrapbooks. Just scrapbooks, yeah? Yeah, my scrapbooks, I think. Yeah. Is the, uh, is the word retirement in your vocabulary? Do they still make soul bowl? <laughs> Will you go wash your mouth out with it? Well, that's good to hear because are, are you concerned about the collection and how it might be yes, maintained and developed and yes. celebrated when, yes. you, when you, when you aren't yes. doing it anymore? Yes, yes. Uh, but that's up, to, uh, that's up to the profession as a whole, isn't it? Yeah. And they just say so said profession yes, yes. And, and not <laughs> industry. Shows you how back I was yeah, when yeah, I started. Yeah. Uh, and I am profoundly disappointed in the lack of interest shown by so many arts practitioners to use in this collection. There are artistic directors of certain companies in this town to whom I sent handwritten invitations to come to Anzac Coves and telling them to be on for six months, just pop in. I did not get a syllable of response from any of them. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I, I, there's nothing in it for me. No, no. But I'm saying ideas for you in the forthcoming four years for productions you might be doing honouring Anzac. Yep. But that is just one example. Actors have stood outside the door big noting themselves. I've invited them in. And they've said, no, we'll come in at interval, and you never see them. Yeah. Uh, oh, I've got a list. I've got a I've list. I've got a list. Uh, it's not my missed. Christmas card list. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the reasons I do this podcast, I think, because, you know, well, I'm talking about younger generations now. They need to have an appreciation yes. of what has gone yeah. before. Yes. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by history. I love it. It's, yes. it's important for us to preserve. Mm. Yeah. In my more vinegary moments... <laughs> which lasts for hours on end. I said that the Perth Arts uh, industry, uh, that they're fully paid up members of the PPPPPPPP brigade. My part, my play, my poem, my performance, my production, my painting, my piece of pottery and piss off everything else. And this, I, I'm a great believer in cross-pollination. But everyone seems to be working in silos and that is to the detriment of the theatre yeah. and the, the arts as a whole. And I'm very, very serious about that. Because nothing I love more when I see fusion. Yeah. Apart from Bangara, I love it when the Indigenous performers work with the, the wider community, both dramatically and uh, in music. And it in um, and in dance. 
Robert Archer once said, culture isn't a frill on the frock of life, but the very fabric with which it is woven. Isn't that wonderful? I, I, I pinched that and put that at the entrance to the museum for a few months. I, and it's embedded in the, uh, in the forecourt of uh, the Art Centre Melbourne. Outside the Hamer Hall, I think is I moved. I want a writer's walk here in Perth, in the environs of the Heath Ledger Theatre. I mentioned this. <laughs> oh, I'm a bitch, and I mentioned this in a radio interview I once did, and I said, and if they don't hurry up, they can put an extra plaque from this particular scribe, Perth. The, the, the city of never mind over doesn't matter. <laughs> Visitors to Perth, how can they find the museum? Well, they can't at the moment. Can't at the moment, no. No, we're all... It, we're, the uh, the um, downstairs at the Madge, the bar and the dress circle are being... Uh, well, they're an industrial site at the moment because we're getting new staircases, new designs, areas are being opened up. And I am in storage, as it were, down the end of the street, King Street, as it turned out, in the King Street Arts Centre. So there's nothing to be seen at the moment. Come February, with the festival, all these new areas will be uh, opened and we've got all sorts of niches and nooks and uh, showcases for memorabilia all over the theatre. And that's when the battle will start with me is that no you cannot put that promotional banner in front of my <laughs> my costume cabinet. That's when the battle will start. <laughs> Thank you for all that you do. I was just getting heritage. warmed up. <laughs> Um, it's been lovely chatting. Thank you. Thank you. See you again. We should go and have lunch now. And, uh, we should. We, and, and well, I'd like more. to take you to the uh, to the Madge uh, Cafe, but it's closed. Oh right. Okay. We'll, we'll have to find something else. But we have to go downstairs and have to look, have a look, and we need to go into the auditorium. Right. Okay. Thanks, Ivan. The museum really is worth a visit if you're in Perth. Also, to see the glorious building that is His Majesty's Theatre in the middle of the CBD in Hay Street. I have many fond memories of ushering at the theatre when I was studying in Perth. It was great to be back and see the magnificent auditorium and the Edwardian features that abound on the exterior and internal foyers. And say hello to Ivan, he'll be thrilled to meet you. Are you enjoying the podcast? I assume so. Thank you for the many compliments that come across the stage's desk. They are much appreciated and give us the incentive to keep doing what we love, bringing you some great conversations with fascinating folk in all fields of the arts. If you're enjoying the podcast, what about taking five minutes to rate and review us? It will help the stage's profile and encourage new listeners. Do share us with your friends too, and thanks for doing that. Join me next time when Stages talks to Peter Pinney. Peter has had an extensive career in television production and has also contributed quite a few musicals to the Australian theatre canon. He has just released a wonderful book, The Australian Musical, From the Beginning, and he'll be giving us an insight into some of that terrific history. As always, I'm Peter Ayers, and you've been listening to Stages. Stages.